Ding, 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 ding. Welcome to Talking Pictures Trivia, the podcast in which a group of geographically challenged friends explore movies through trivia as an excuse to keep their friendships alive. I'm one of these friends, and today's host, Nick, and with me is... Tom and KJ. Great to have you back, as always. Additionally, joining us as a guest for this episode is... Pat. Pat, great to have you back. Patrick and Tom worked on a bunch of shows together in Holy Cross, including Tom directing Pat in The Ghost Sonata. You may remember Patrick from our Broken Blossoms or Bride of Frankenstein episodes. Pat still conveniently likes movies, although after we ask him to watch Michael Hahn, we'll see if that still remains true. For those joining us for the first time, we start off each episode with a movie quiz, which consists of two rounds of three questions to determine who will earn today's trivia crown. Then once the fierce competition is over, we followed up with our famous movie rant where anything goes. This week, we'll be jumping into the 2007 comedy, Maiko Han, directed by Nobu Mizuta, who is also known for Hanada Shonenshi, the movie, Spirits in the Secret Tunnel, and Nigo Ni, Signal of Life. Other movies in Japan in 2007 include Dororo, a manga-based movie, and two nominees for Best Picture, Clint Eastwood's Letter from Iwo Jima, and Scorsese's The Departed. KJ will be in the quizzer seat today. How would you describe Michael Hahn? In Michael Hahn, we follow Kimihiko's quest to play strip baseball with Maiko. Maiko are geisha in training. Kimihiko is a guy who becomes very involved in whatever he sets his mind to, and he kind of overdoes it. This is most notably shown in the movie during his rivalry with Kichiro, who acts as a foil to Kimihiko in every step in his journey. While the first two acts of the movie are kind of a screwball comedy, the third act, at least I think, adds some meat to the movie and kind of starts to evaluate all the characters it has set forth. The movie then concludes with, uh, does it matter? The ending doesn't really make that much sense, and the real resolutions in this movie are more about setting perceptions of Maiko and Geisha and taking a look at different personality types. This was one of those movies I found while looking for smaller international films. What caught my eye a lot were the tourist locations they visit in Kyoto, which wasn't too far from where my wife and I would show friends who came to visit us while we lived in Japan. The movie is mostly silly until the third act, where I feel like it actually ties things together and becomes a real film. Uh, I don't like the main character, Kimihiko, um, but I do like the portrayal of him as someone who's obsessed with something and is kind of consumed by it. Um, I like Kiichiro's story by the end of why he was such a creep. At first, this movie seems like a silly throwaway comedy, but I think there's some things to unpack about how society norms and unspoken rules are applied um, and force these characters to do the things they do. How about you, Tom? What'd you think? Yeah, it's it's an interesting movie. I mean, Kimmy, it's like a it's like a Japanese version of Kevin Hart who plays a man who acts like a five-year-old with a perpetual erection and so that's a little hard to get past the elements of it that i think are interesting is that it sets up some traditional romantic comedy tropes uh pretty clearly but doesn't pull the trigger on any of them so to speak and so you end up having um a kind of like a traditional love triangle where guy leaves his girlfriend he goes he goes on an adventure um and then he presumably discovers that the girl who he left was the, the right one for him all this time. However, he kind of sort of realizes that, but then never goes back to her. And she might just hang around in, in the new town they're in anyway. Um, 
and so the the movie is uh sort of flirting with being a more traditional genre film except by the time we get to the third act all of that sort of dissolves and it seems to either be a movie about um the the kind of pursuit of uh pursuit of a status and the kind of things that men will do competitively in order to gain status or it's a movie about deep addiction and kind of the um and and kind of i don't know what to call it the destructive nature of of addiction because i i don't know if these characters are necessarily ruined but the all-encompassing idea that that addiction has what about you nick so this was a another foreign film brought to us by KJ, specifically a a Japanese film. And I don't know if this is me just having more exposure to this Japanese eccentric style, or if KJ is just wearing me down with these zany foreign films. But I will say, I actually did enjoy this more than I, I thought I was going to. I found myself laughing at a variety of parts, even though I have a love-hate relationship with the, the main character. There were some times where his craziness was spot on. The other time I just was like, this is insane. But when I compared this to another zany movie we saw, Why Don't You Play in Hell? I did actually enjoy this one significantly more than that prior one. I don't know if this was because I was one of those random friends that visited him in Japan and went to Kyoto and have fond memories of Kyoto and actually can visualize those small um, streets and more of the authentic um, Japanese style that is known from the Kyoto area. But the other thing that I think helped me enjoy this a little bit more was that somewhere at the end of the movie, there was surprisingly an actual movie. I mean, the beginning, it's, it's kind of, he's crazy. And there's parts where I, once I got over that and started to embrace his craziness, I think I enjoyed it more. And then they get the scenes where the two competitors are just trying to outdo each other in life. And I was like, what the heck is going on? And then finally, once you creep past there, you actually see there is a nice little story in there somewhere. But you really do got to go, just like KJ said, you got to get pretty deep into this movie to realize that there actually is a movie in there. And I think it is the third act, uh, as you mentioned, KJ. So in general, again, I, I, I don't know if, if KJ's just saying, I'm going to keep throwing these zany movies until Nick likes something. But this one, I, I did enjoy elements of it and uh, much more than the prior one I had mentioned. And I, again, I, I don't know if I'm just now exposed to something that I hadn't seen before, but I, I was able to at least embrace the craziness because that's what they were trying to deliver in this one. Um, I'm all over the place on my opinions, I know, because that's exactly what this movie will do to you but it was an interesting watch. Pat, what were your thoughts? I, I should start with, I'm. this is probably, although I probably watch like two or three movies a week, this is not even an exaggeration. This is probably only like maybe the fifth or sixth movie that I've watched that has been produced since like 2005. Um, so <laughs> I watched a lot of old movies. So this was actually like quite a quite a change from my typical, um, my typical viewing. So, it, it was actually fascinating to watch for, for me. So I had, I would say for about, for about the first 15 or 20 minutes, I was, I did, I was very angry. I did not like that character. I 
really hated him. And I got sort of the, the you know, especially there's like the, there's a sequence where they're both uh, at a, the two, sort of the Kimmy and sort of his sort of uh, foil character. They're at the computer and they're, they're almost having like, it's literally, and I, I think it's designed to be that way, is like a, like a comic book battle between each other where it's like the kapow, bam kind of things. And it was very over the top. And even when I got what they were doing, it kind of bothered me. And, but the moment where I actually, I shifted and I thought, actually, you know what? I'm going to watch this and have total fun with it was the musical number. The musical number is awesome. That thing sets, sets the rest of the film in motion. And I, I actually, once that thing happened, I went, oh, this is fun. Like, this is actually like really entertaining. And I actually really watched it. And, and it, I kind of rode that for a, about an hour or so there was a there was kind of a lull about the middle and I think it's right where it kind of shifts from being a totally zany movie into trying to be a more serious movie um where again I thought eh, they're kind of overdoing it and it but it kind of won me back again at the end it was a it's a it's a fun movie and it's totally unlike anything I think I've ever seen before and so for that reason it entertained me on on a really on a really on a, on a very basic level like it's just it was fun and i enjoyed it and i had all the things there was though just there's just certain moments i think to your point it's like and a lot of it's the um, I, th- I love your analogy it's it's <laughs> like the it, it's like watching like a five-year-old running around like it, it's just it's a little bit too much for certain points and when that gets kind of toned back it actually works better maybe the contrast is necessary i don't think so but there were certain moments where the again i would say for the first 20 minutes i was really didn't like it then it actually became really fun and i and you just kind of you let it all go and it, it it actually is a totally fun fun movie that's that's my take on it okay now you've been with us a few times already i don't know if there's any specific snack that jumps out of you to enjoy uh while watching this film yes so i thought about this the thing i think you normally i say you know when you need something to kind of balance and, and bring you into it this is a movie i at least as a as a person watching from new york city you know i needed like something to ground me back at home again this is a popcorn and beer movie like, like you need i wanted popcorn and beer while i watched this thing because otherwise i was totally lost like throw everything to the wind throw everything out popcorn and beer enjoy yourself you'll have fun with it I think that's a good selection. And interestingly, I was thinking about what I would do. And this is super cliche based on the movie, but I think I need to have some ramen noodles. You know, I don't know. They're slurping on a lot of new, and maybe even all the customizable sides there, you know, increase the profit margin. It's time for Movie Quiz. For this episode, we're going to have two rounds, three questions each. First round, each question is going to be worth one point. We have three categories. Here they are. First category is baseball. Second one, makeup. Third one, dancing. Pat, where would you like to begin? I'm going with baseball. There's no doubt about that. It's time for question one. What is Kimihiko's main goal in life? Oh, locked in. Locked in. Locked in. All right, Tom, what do you got? I think his main goal in life is to um, be in perpetual presence with uh, Geisha House, with Geisha people, and with Mako people. And Pat, what do you have? I'm going with the he wants to play strip baseball with the with the Mako. And Nick, what do you have? He wants to be 
in the not the first timer class of the those who visit geisha houses who can visit geisha houses all excellent answers points are going to tom because of the word perpetual i i do think his goal was to hang out with the maiko and the geisha and and play strip uh baseball right that is absolutely said over and over again um but i think it's more than that he's obsessed with these things what, whatever it is whatever he's doing he becomes obsessed with to the point where where it's obnoxious it's not a healthy thing anymore so any goal he has in life he takes to the extreme um and i think tom's answer <laughs> captured that pretty well but all he everything he does is in order to get closer to the, the geisha women Right, everything he does, he's trying to outcompete Naito in order to have a, a better experience. Because if you make more money, you have a better experience, right? And even in the, you know, and and even in the end, when he's won, he still needs to come up with with something to compete over. So the the movie, you know, at, at, towards the climax, you find out that his favorite geisha woman, um, Komako is actually the daughter of his competitor. And so he goes like, okay, the, the competitor, Naito, goes, you've won. She's my daughter. Like, I, I can't romance her as she is my daughter. And he's like, no, it's not over until she picks the, the um, you know, she, she picks the outfit I pick out for her and not the one you pick out for her. And there's this just, this kind of need to prove himself to these these geishas. It's not a need to like be good at baseball or be good in business but it's just it's it's a, a need to prove himself worthy of these these people and then be around them. To elaborate on that, Tom, when Naito and Kimi are talking, when Kimi's in the in jail, Naito actually says, "I've already told you that I've lost," and Kimi says, "It's not enough that you lost; it's I need to win." So even though he already, it's the actual words that were used. He didn't like that he just said he lost, and that's why Kimmy won. Kimmy needs to win because Kimmy won. <laughs> yeah, and he gets he ends up in the end, he ends up being kind of sussumed into the Geisha house, right? He ends up just apparently working there into old age as far as in that epilogue where he's the, the shoe guy now. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I took that as they were now running the Geisha house. I think the women run the Geisha house. The the mother runs the Geisha house. No, he just wants yeah. to be as close as possible. Yeah, I think he, he's like the, he is. I think that's as close as an old man with no money can get. Mm -hmm. Like that's is to work there, and it and and there and you know there's sort of a cyclical. I think there was there was it kind of references it throughout the film. There's sort of like a cyclical nature to this whole thing, where like yeah, he's working there at the end, and he's obviously referencing that. There's a great scene which again I thoroughly and I, I thought was quite fun, where they have actually like at the beginning I think he runs through the streets and he starts yelling, looking for like his class or something. And there's a scene maybe you know an hour and thirty minutes in where the same thing happens again. There's like another kid running through the class. Um, so I, I always took that to mean a little bit of like the cyclical nature of this whole this whole situation with like a, a younger kid falling in love with these older women and then kind of continuing to follow it through. And, you know, it, it would have been a great thing, which I don't know if they actually did, but I actually, now that I think about it, did they actually have something that looks like the kid who was running around the place is like the one who's going into the place at the very end when he says you need to go, you know, to your, to the hospital. 
It's that the same did. character. Yeah, if it's it the was, same character as the kid. The same character it. because he was running around saying, boys, boys, like same thing yeah. that uh, Kimmy was doing earlier. Yeah. And he actually runs by the two of them when Kimmy sees his ex-girlfriend on the bridge. That is the same boy who went by. I didn't realize that. If, they, if that's yeah. the same kid that they had to effectively show up at the end of the film, that would have been clever. That would have been a really, and I'm, I'm actually, now that I think about it, I wish I'd gone back and looked at that because I bet that's what they did. It is. Um, yeah. yeah. The way I looked at it also is like, you know, it, it, the whole thing with like the three, the way I, the three different, you know, because he does a whole bunch of different jobs, as we mentioned, like throughout the whole thing. I think it's a little bit of a play, which I'm, I don't know if this is something in Eastern philosophy as well, but I, I thought at least they're pulling from Western philosophy as well. Cause like there's a, there's a theory of happiness that exists within, I think it's Plato. And they look at three different ways that a person can be happy and how none of those things actually lead you to happiness. And the three things are supposed to be money, power, and fame. And so he does try to achieve all of those three things. He becomes, he tries to get all the money and he tries to become very wealthy in order to get into the place. And then he tries to become famous as a baseball player. And then he tries to become powerful as the mayor. And that's sort of like their idea of power is somebody who's like sort of occupies a position of authority. And I thought that that seemed to be a very clear thing they were playing with as well, that he tries to achieve these three things and none of them will bring him happiness because to your point, and, and Tom, I think your answer was pretty good there. He is that, that because none of those will bring his happiness because what he actually wants is just to be amongst them. That's all he wants. He just wants to be, and so he can shine the shoes of a guy coming in the door. And as long as he can do that and be amongst these people, he's, he's totally happy with that. All right, here we go. Question two. We got two categories left in round one, which are makeup and dancing. Tom, how would you like to play? Makeup please it's time for question two what was the most striking part of kimihiko's appearance locked in locked in locked in all right let's start with nick it had to be his like bowl haircut like just his whole haircut it's just no one else has their hair like that he looks kind of goofy. I think that's the thing that really stood out the most with that character. And Pat, what do you have? You see, I was I was tr- trying to remember if some character ever mentioned something striking about it, which I don't remember them doing. So my guess was somebody might have said something about his lips, maybe. Did somebody say anything? I don't remember. Apparently there was not. a that close-up was scene where he goes to kiss Kumako, and it's a, yes, they zoom in on his lips. And it's really revolting. <laughs> he makes yeah, it's the... really creepy. Yeah. So I, I kind of, that, that was my guess. It, that's my guess. I'm going with his lips. And Tom, what do you have? I'm going to say his penchant for somewhat checkered suits. He has a, a kind of mustard colored suit that that looks like like a Harlequin outfit almost. And then he has a blue one as well. I mean, I like the blue one more, but they are... Uh, they are distinct patterns that you do not see anyone else wear. And it was very much like he he looked almost kind of pimp-like, like the way you would hear, you know, like somebody who describes like a pimp would look. Um, and I, it, it was very, very different from everyone else in the movie. Points go to Nick and Tom. I, I can't decide between the two. His haircut <laughs> is, is incredible. I mean, and that, that haircut... Uh, 
it, it people in Japan have that haircut. I, I've absolutely seen that haircut. But I think part of what what makes him stand out is it it doesn't look good, but he doesn't know that. He just he he doesn't know that he doesn't fit in. And, and the suits, right? He starts with one suit that that looks completely out of place and it, it's not just out of place anywhere it's really out of place in japan in japan everybody wants to look like the same rock you don't want to stand out you don't want to be taller you don't want to be but his first suit he stands out a lot and then when he gets to choose a suit because he's going to spend a lot of money on it he picks another one that again it, it just stands out as he's as he's out there and he has no idea that that this is going against the social norms and I think a lot of his character traits, a lot of his obnoxious, obnoxious character traits, he doesn't realize he's being obnoxious. How did you guys feel about Kimihiko? <laughs> okay, we're going to have a lot of thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. So he was nominated. Oh, okay. <laughs> the, the actor was nominated for Japan's version of an Oscar for that role. I, I saw that. Um, my So... I'm going to do the generous thing and say there is a cultural translation problem for us watching this movie. Um, I, I, it was, uh, yeah, just, just in terms of the performance. I mean, it's, it's a, he's playing a fool, you know, um, and I don't mean like he's foolish. It's, it's like, he's playing that character type, like almost like a Harlequin type who is, um, who's, you know, kind of falling all over himself, who, is um you know uh, uh unable to handle himself around um you know attractive women things like that um but he's also he's also the lead so it's like the, the camera has put the harlequin in the role of the the romantic comedy lead it's, it's like the you know the like kevin hart is playing tom hanks um and <laughs> you know so that was my that was my response to that but i imagine that style of humor works well it with within that culture and we're just not picking it up because it was really rough to watch him well that's one of the things i was saying even in my intro i don't know if i'm just becoming more accustomed to the very fast paced very like very active mobile like kind of humor that we also saw in the prior movie i mentioned uh why don't you play in hell of course totally different theme here i thought they really leaned into it though like it wasn't supposed to be something else. This is what it was, it was supposed to be some crazy. I don't use the word zany that often. I'm using it a lot with this movie. My other thought is we also maybe don't know the background of this actor. I don't know if he is this type of comedian or if this is kind of his style or his shtick or if this is a one-off. I looked quickly and he does seem to be like quite the working actor. And And one of the things I thought about when we say lost in translation, it made me think of, let's say Jim Carrey's role in Ace Ventura, okay? He's a zany, weird guy with crazy haircut, different motions, walks weird. Is that an equivalent of what this guy does or what they're trying to portray? Because I can imagine if they watch that movie, they may say, what is this guy up to? So I, I found that interesting. However, with this movie versus the last one that I mentioned uh, from Japan, I, I also leaned into it. I was like, okay, I get it. This is what they're doing. This I think Pat, you also said something like this. You just like let it let it go and just say, I'm going to enjoy this movie for what it is. And once you get past how he's jumping around in the geisha house like an idiot, like I did enjoy the movie. Him, I I have a, as I said earlier, a love hate 
kind of relationship with certain parts spot on i'm laughing other ones i'm like wow this is crazy what what i thought when i saw it is i thought oh this is why mr bean doesn't talk because it was like good point it, it was seriously I'm like oh this is like if mr bean talks i'm like oh just shut up i'm like you're funny but you have to stop that was that was my take on it i thought ah but yes i did i did kind of just go and say okay this is this is what it is and again the mu and this is why the musical number was so effective to me and i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna go back to it all night because i love that musical number that was funny and especially when they brought it back and they had like you know he goes they go through a scene and they have the, <laughs> the dance never come back down the street i loved it i thought it was absolutely uproarious and that was that was sort of the shifting moment where i went okay, this is what it is, and you just kind of accepted it, but man, was that an annoying character. But I actually did like it as it, as it went further on. And, and it, I thought it was effective. I'm still not sure to, I, I don't know, I don't think it should have been nominated for a Japanese Academy Award. I didn't think it was quite that effective a performance, but, uh, you know, it, it, was, it was still fun. Like, it sort of, it took on a new air as it kind of went on. And again, you let it go, you watch it, you have fun with it. It, it was, it was an enjoyable, it was enjoyable. But in the beginning, it's, it's way over the top. I remember when I was, you know, when, when, when I used to do theater, they used to call it mugging. And that was like the worst thing you could do was mugging for the camera or mugging for the audience. And like, it was all mugging. And maybe, it, maybe it just goes so far beyond it that it actually works and and so therefore that's what you had that's what he was meant to do that's what that's what worked Pat, what about the scene where the, uh he's walking down the hallway in town and all of a sudden the geishas come out to start to do another musical number and then he just yells at them he's like stop stop <laughs> that, that was great i loved it he's like stop it that was like, good. someday and like, i'm like <laughs> dancing down i'm like this is great that was fun it's it was a great it was a <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all, like, that was a great moment of just like, and and there's no other there's no other real musical numbers in the thing. Like it was it was I don't it was a fantastic transition point to actually go with in that film. It really set the tone for the rest of that film. And once they and they kind of shifted back a little bit to kind of the dramatic thing of him trying to get back to the gay house, and then yeah, Nick, they go with like them dancing back down the street again, and it was like, nope, we're totally back in this world again. Like this is totally where we're going with it, and it was it was fun again. You guys have no idea how happy I am. I've been waiting years to talk about this, and this is the exact conversations I wanted to have. Uh, the musical number, we'll get more to it later. And and Nick, I, I think you're you're quite right with comparing uh, the lead in this movie to Jim Carrey um, and, and Pat with Mr. Bean. I think the comedy, even if, if you didn't have the subtitles, it would be funny because of the physical comedy, like Jim Carrey and Mr. Bean. Um, but I think the other thing is he's successful in this movie. He's wildly successful. Not not necessarily the actor, but the character, right? The character. Obnoxiously successful. <laughs> it, it has Mary Sue. This was, that was the other thing is, this is almost Mary Sue tendencies, like as to how successful he is. It's, it's almost, and yet he doesn't get what he wants. So it's not quite Mary Sue. And he doesn't care about doesn't all those care. things. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think that might really work in a culture where successful um attitude is not to be zany not to be out of the box not to stand out and do these things so i i think 
that may be why he was nominated because he was being funny and successful and those two things shouldn't you gotta be a good company man exactly right it's almost like if he's not at this energy level it's he's he bottoms out right there's nothing there but this kind of this kind of excitement and even when he gets what he wants in the in the uh the first time he goes to the geisha house he's in tears because he's afraid he'll you know because it's going to be over soon (laughs) you know like like all things in the world all right final question in round one the category is dancing it's time for question three what is the basis for the musical number locked in locked in locked in all right pat what do you got it's that someday he will get to go into the geisha house the he can't get into the geisha house in spite of getting his new suit because he is uh, no, no first timers and so he is singing in response to that. And the song is that, you know, one of these days is the, what the song is called. And one of these days, he'll, he'll be able to get into the geisha house. Yes, he was dealing with his plight that the rule that he forgot, the last rule was no first timers allowed. And that's his ambition to get past that and actually be allowed. Points for everybody. Not shut yeah, out. and we we shut out. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, we, and we've we've talked about this quite a bit already. But how wonderful is it to have a musical number in the middle of a movie? I mean, it, it makes everything better. Musical numbers make everything better. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of musicals, but I can handle a musical number to transition into the better part of the movie <laughs> but it's actually fun it, it's it's staged well um it's it also was. purposely stagey it's done you know on on a actual kind of proscenium stage um uh, you know and the dancing isn't you know the, the dancing is is fine it's yeah it's a good time it was wildly yeah. successful i loved it if you if you had if you had done that musical if you'd gone the movie up to that point and done the musical and done maybe 45 minutes after that that would have made it i would have i would have absolutely loved it not that i again not that i didn't like it but that was just the that was the perfect moment even if they saved it for 45 minutes in (laughs) and then used it i would have loved it i loved that musical number and i loved the transition i loved the effect it had on the whole film like it, it it was just such a really really perfect theater film moment i loved it i absolutely loved it at the end of round one we got pat with one point nick with two points and tom with three points it's still anybody's game all right thanks kj for an interesting round one we'll be right back after this quick commercial break it's time for guess that song whistling edition i'll whistle a song and you guess what it is. Here we go.
If you guessed the Mario medley arranged by me, you're right. And we're back. KJ, what do you have in store for us now? Round two, we're going to have three questions, two points each. And I'd like to end with the final category. So, Nick, would you like exclusive or Geisha games? Let's start off with Geisha games. It's time for question four. This is going to be an around the table question where we're going to go around the table. There aren't too many answers. If we get them all, everybody will get points. What are all the things Kimihiko competes with Kichiro Naito for? I'm going to start with the easy one, and that is to be a famous baseball star so he can frequent geisha houses. Uh, he competes with him to be mayor. He competes with him to be a K-1 fighter. He starts a successful chain of restaurants. And this is Naito. And this is where Kimmy is talking with one of his colleagues. And that's when they thought, aren't we going full circle? Um, he competes with him over the kimonos. They each pick a kimono and one of them gets to choose whichever one is the better kimono. Or whichever one that the, uh, she chooses as the kimono to wear. Excellent. And Tom, I got two more on my list. But if you guys know more. I, I know another one. Um, he, may, he competes with him to be a movie star. Um, after seeing that Naito is in a movie called Top Gunner, the hottest one on the mountain. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So we'll do points for everybody because you guys went all around. The only other thing I had on my list was um, uh, Kimi Hiko writes uh, Big Love with the Fire as a way to compete and get. Is that uh, really? Is that why he writes that? <laughs> I didn't yeah. think that was a way to. No, yeah, I didn't think that was a way to compete because he has big love for Komako. It's to show her when she looks out, she's gonna see. Oh, he really loves me because he wrote "big love" in flames on the side of a sacred temple grounds. Is that what that scene means? <laughs> I mean, that's what I assumed it was. Yeah, I assumed that's what it was, but yeah. I wouldn't. Have, yeah. So one of the things I think this movie actually did pretty well was that Kitro Naito was a great foil for Kimihiko because Kichiro was not obsessed with things. He was handed everything in life, but he was still wildly successful, but he didn't have to put any effort into it, which was great. It gave Kimihiko a, a, a place to, to bounce off of a wall to push off of a, a Joker for Kimihiko's Batman. That whole sequence was insane. When he starts, like, I'm just going to be a professional baseball player so I can go to geisha houses more often. And then he actually, like, becomes a player. And then he becomes a movie star and says, oh, yeah, I don't want to go to the games anymore. Like, it's just the whole thing where not, none of that mattered. It was just, do I have enough so that I can frequent geisha houses? It was actually, it's kind of funny because in the beginning, like, you're just like, this guy's kind of pathetic. But then you kind of buy into what he's doing but in the end it's kind of a pathetic existence but he accomplished so much and it meant so yeah, my, little. my reading of the movie is that um it's basically saying men will work incredibly hard in order to impress women <laughs> that's that's the whole incentive behind what men do um but it's not enough to be it's not impress to impress women you have to put down other men other men have to be lesser 
Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. it's very tribal mind. <laughs> it's, it's very it's very monkey monkey brain. <laughs> well, I was going to say that in terms of them, com you know, them compared to one another. What was also interesting is Naito has an actually arc of development, unlike Kimmy. <laughs> you know, Na Naito like uh, like you know he goes from being a kind of a a. a uh, not a great guy. He sort of mistreats people. He's a bit of a drunk to somebody who, who learns what his responsibility is and embraces it. Um, and so his role in the end as mayor kind of makes sense because he's able to like say, um, you are my daughter and I will spend the rest of my life making up for it and becomes a sympathetic character. Kimmy never gets out of what, he, you know, he, he never grows. He's perpetually 12 years old, even when his hair is gray. Yeah, and when we first meet Naito, we just think he's a jerk because he's a celebrity. We don't realize he's an actual tortured soul. Not that it justifies his But he is also a jerk, ways. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Not that it justifies his drunken ways, I agree. But there is that other layer that we see later on in the film. But I would argue almost every other character other than other than Kimmy goes through some sort of development, even, you know, his, his sort of ex-girlfriend character. And, and I think Tom, you referenced this earlier is that it, it seemed almost like the point, what I thought the movie was going to be was that Kimmy was going to be obsessed with the uh, geisha and his ex-girlfriend was going to become a geisha. And then he was going to end up with her and realized that he he could have ended up with her anyway, and there was no need for her to become a geisha, and he never had the need to be obsessed with geishas, and then they were going to run off together. That's what I thought it was going to do, and then it was going to, but it, it sort of threw all that aside, because that that's actually, basically, it was like, no, that's not true, actually. He's just totally obsessed with geishas. <laughs> it's like, no, 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 his ex-girlfriend meant nothing. That's all gone. We're throwing that out the window. And they actually, did, so he's the only one that never actually changes. He, he wants what he wants and it's the exact same thing through the whole movie and he gets what he wants at the end of it. Whereas everybody else kind of actually changes what they want throughout the film and what they're looking for alters. And, you know, th there's, there's actually some growth and development and it, it, it it's almost, it's, it's almost got a confederacy of dunces feel to it at that point where it's like in confederacy dunces, every single character wants what they want through the whole thing. And they end up with exactly what they want at the end of it. And that's what this dude is. He wants exactly what he wants at the beginning. He ends up with the end of it and that's it. <laughs> Nothing changes. Everybody else kind of goes through arcs and flows and he doesn't. It's actually like a, now, I was saying th this movie doesn't hide no. that at all, even from the beginning when they are when he is being transferred to Kyoto and has to break up with his girlfriend. He literally says, I thought you were from Kyoto. You're from the town next door. And he says he, fe he felt so betrayed, like it had nothing to do. And he's very blunt. And one of my favorite lines from this movie early on, which is when I kind of like turned around to start liking some of the things he did was he's breaking up with her. He's like, if you cry, it's over. And of course, they're breaking up. The woman's going to cry. <laughs> it's like, ah! <laughs> yeah. It, what's interesting, too, is it's not only does um, does Naito go through an arc of development, everybody seems to. Like, you, you mentioned that. And so you have, like, he's not just a foil for Naito, which is, you know, he's obviously the foil for, for him. He's kind of the foil for a lot of these characters. Right, who are a lot of these characters are kind of seeing themselves. Even uh, Kumako, who who you know she has a scar on her head, um, she's you know cut herself with these scissors because um, the person who she thought she was romantically interested in rejected her. 
um, and and she cut herself because she didn't want to be a geisha when she she was a younger woman, um, and she sort of through the through the movie learns to deal with that and kind of you know develops from there. And even uh, Fujiko, the the girlfriend, um, yeah, even she goes through this kind of uh, major transition process. And so it's almost like he's this he's this um, kind of unchanging fixed point around which everybody else navigates. All right, next question. The category is House Rules. It's time for question five. What are the reasons the geisha houses won't let Kimihiko in? Or, and what reasons is Kimihiko not able to get into the geisha houses? We're going to go around the table again. There's not too many. So if we hit them all, points for everybody. Uh, let's start with Nick. I'm going to go with the obvious one that has come up in the fact that no first timers are allowed. No first timers. Pat? He says they might need to buy like fancy drinks. So he needs to have enough money to buy drinks. Yes, he needs money. Tom? His outfit is, uh, is falling apart. And so he needs to buy a, a nicer outfit. A nicer outfit. Great. So I have two more on my list, which kind of are the trickier ones. Um, if anybody's got it, throw it out there. I think I have one. Um, I hope. Oh, did, did you beat me, Pat? Did you? No, I have nothing. I was hoping you had nothing. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the, the one I have. Um is that it, we have to protect the privacy of our clients, right? And so, so that our clients can be comfortable. Um, we can't let uh, people without reference into the geisha house. They have to have reference. I agree, but that's an extension of the no first timers. That's the reason okay. for the no first timers. What do you have, Nick? Yeah. Oh, I didn't. I just want to know. At this point, there's less I'm glad answers I'm than people. I'm at least about the only one. We all get points? Let me think. Let me think. Yeah, the, the the closed one was my other one, which got mm -hmm. covered. Um, oh, I got it. I know what it is. Boom. Um, they inspect his shoes, and he is sick with an ulcer. That's why he can't yes, go in. Yes, they notice he has an there ulcer by his shoes. Mm -hmm. Cannot go in. But that wasn't the same sequence. Um, but it's and or a reason Kimihiko is not able to get into the uh, You threw me off because you said the signs. There's one more sign. The ulcer one, we I knew too. The ulcer one. Oh, I have it. I think I have it. Does this Tom, count? You already I said got the ulcer point. one earlier. <laughs> oh no, go for it, Tom. Okay, what do you got? No, I was gonna. I, <laughs> I was going to say um, he needs to make money for his boss. Does that count? The last one I have is money related, but first he says he needs money to get in, but mm -hmm. then he needs more money in case the Michael or Geisha want to go out on town. But that's what Pat's Well, that was what Pat's I thought. Drinks. I thought it was related to the drinks. Yeah, I thought the geisha went out of the town. Yeah. But it, it's the same thing. Okay, no, if Pat said more money, then the other one is money to get in. Well, like I said they, he needed money, money in case they wanted twice. drinks, because I thought I was I was equating that to office. Yep. Yeah. There were two there, because he went to the ATM twice. Right. So points to Pat to keep the points even. Yes! Yes! <laughs> <laughs> um, so enjoy not, your not, not losing <laughs> um so so one major theme in this movie or, or something that kind of dictates this movie 
uh, was kind of similar to rules of the game where there's certain society rules that in general people have to follow. Kimihiko walks the line um, that influence all the decisions of the characters. And I, I think it was a great framework that allowed comedy to emerge from the unspoken rules. And even if, if a character could do a simple thing to get out of a situation, he couldn't because it wasn't allowed or it wasn't appropriate at that point. It's a comedy of manners, right? It, you know, it, it's that type of thing. It's like, it's like Moliere, right? Where you have... Um, you know, you have this kind of high society stuff and you have to act in, in these certain ways. And the character who, you know, kind of generates the conflict is the person who refuses to. He refuses kind of the societal norms. That's not Kimi's problem. Kimi's problem isn't he is he's upset with the social norms. His problem is he's so blissfully unaware of himself that he can't, you know, he, he can't seem to integrate even though oddly enough he does he sort of dominates not you know that's actually great i never even thought about that you're right it's comedy of manners it's almost like amadeus where but amadeus is successful because he's wildly good at what he does and and so it doesn't matter that he's a total societal buffoon it, everyone just is gonna dote on this man whereas this guy's lord knows why people why he's successful at all because he's totally all over the place he's like he's like an amadeus mixed with forrest gump it's fantastic <laughs> like <laughs> never thought about that great. That's great. i just felt like adding <laughs> accessories to the ramen yeah <laughs> no but even the, even the boss the guy uh the what is it damn straight you know <laughs> yeah, the, the, the boss well, i also love it i love that boss remember that actor yeah great. well the boss says like when he's uh, specifically when he introduces uh, Kimmy introduces the idea of a baseball team. He's like, it is crazy. And he's crazy. But I've learned in business, you get some good ideas from crazy people like him. That really spells it all out right then and there. And the other crazy thing about this film is he breaks away from the mold so much. Yet his one passion is one of the most traditional pastimes in the country. And the movie itself almost pokes, I don't want to say pokes fun at it, but talk about cultural divide. First, when we hear the allure of a geisha, if you didn't exactly know what that was all about, you would have thought it was a little bit more risque. But it's really just a different form of entertainment where it sounds like you're going to the red light district. So they even poke fun at it in this movie when the ex-girlfriend says she wants to train to be a geisha. And she even thought, that they were entertaining to another level. And they're like, no, no, we're not, we're not street workers. You know, we entertain. So that's another interesting element talking about culture. And even the most risque thing he thinks they do is the strip baseball. And they go, no, 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 we don't strip, you strip. <laughs> and <he's, laughs> we take a sip. Yeah, we take a sip and you strip. And I'm like, oh, this is totally not what anybody His life accomplishment right there, Pat. Totally worthless. Yeah, and it's not because that's what he wants more than anything else. That's the geisha activity he in wants to world. do more than anything else in the world. And he doesn't even know what it is, right? But I love the idea that, yeah, he's he's totally he rejecting doesn't... all cultural norms, and yet he's obsessed with this totally, totally traditional element of mm. cultural art. That's a great, mm. that's great. Final question of the night. The category is opening the kimono. It's time for question six. 
of the four main characters in this movie, whose story is the most tragic? Kimihiko's, Kiichiro's, Komafuji-san's, or Komako's? I'm going to lock in. Locked in. Yeah, I'll lock in. All right, Tom, what do you have? I'm going to say Komako. Um, And I'll I'll do this by comparison to, to bring this out. It would seem, based upon my reading of the film, that Kimi would have the, the kind of tragic story because he doesn't develop. He doesn't grow up or, or become another person, which is sort of, you know, the, the beauty of life is that we get to grow and become new people. Um, and he doesn't have that. However, he ends in a place of utter joy. He gets what he wants more fully than it appears any other character does. So I think to call it tragic would be um, to really kind of enforce my worldview on him. Um, and, you know, I don't think he feels his, his situation is tragic. I, I think Komiko is, has more of the, the tragic story because she starts by being placed into a position due, her, due to her illegitimate birth um, that she, you know, might not want to be in. She's sort of already on the margins of society. And her means of getting back into society, into respectability, and to have some kind of financial and cultural power is via the geisha house. So her position there is not one which she can trade in for something else, because she she has a kind of marginal status. And even there, her relationship with the geisha house we see, despite her talent, is very, uh, very tenuous. She ends up scarring herself, scarring her face as a, a young woman when she, before she's introduced, um, because she wants to kind of get out of this place, and she can't. Despite the scar, she can't get out of there. Then her next mode of, I don't want to call it escape, because I think she maybe comes to terms with being a geisha, but her next step in life is to get married to Kimi, which, you know, is accepted, but doesn't seem to be particularly pleasant. And it also doesn't seem to happen. I mean, we're not entirely sure, but in the, the end scene, she isn't wearing the, the red kimono that uh, Kimi gets. She's wearing the blue one that her father gets, which I think is an indication that her and Kimi are not, you know, not, not going down the aisle together. Um, and even though she's, you know, smiling at the end and appears happy, vis-a-vis uh, -vis the other characters, um, she seems to have had the, uh, she seems to have been in, she seems to have had the fewest options, while the other characters do have a lot of freedom in order to do what they want. And basically, they, for the most part, seem to get what they want. So I agree she had the fewest options and she did not capitalize on a on a closet scene that really could have explored those few options. And also just to clarify, um, uh, uh, Kimihiko is her husband. And what that means is he just pays for everything for her. There's no oh, ceremony. Oh, that was part of my married. rebuttal, KJ. Oh, 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 my step on rebuttal. All right. Yeah. Uh, Wait, he's she's. It's not a literal husband. No, it just no, means you pay for everything sponsor. they have. Yeah. It's a sponsor. Oh. <laughs> but that's okay. Nick, what do you have? When you look at the four main characters, and try to figure out who has the most tragic story, even during this movie, before you pose this question, I actually strongly believe it is the ex-girlfriend Fujiko. So she is heartbroken when her boyfriend leaves her a somewhat 
reasonable, actual, real person to pursue this crazy dream of just going to geisha houses. So he has a legitimate relationship gone. And she has a little bit of a, a, a breakdown. She's literally calling him multiple times on a juice box, okay? Not a cell phone, a juice box, okay? Then she decides, you know, he was so crazy and went to Kyoto. I'm going to go to Kyoto. And even though I'm way older than the normal age for training, I'm going to start training to become a geisha. This just seems like a great idea. Is she going to win him back? Is she not? The objective there is still kind of inconclusive. So she, she moves her whole life down there to go down this path. And even then, what does she actually get in the end? She becomes a Maiko. She's in the training. She actually crossed paths with this person who left her just to go to geisha houses. He doesn't even recognize her at first. And then they have this chance encounter when she finally says, you know what, enough of this craziness. I'm going to go back to my real life in Tokyo. And that's when Kimmy comes running in again to mess up her life one more time. And she decides to turn around and go back to the geisha house. She is actually with him in character because all the other geishas are fighting the new laws that are coming. He still doesn't recognize her until she demands that she he calls his ex-girlfriend, who he was reminiscing about just because of one quick motion, which would have clearly went out of his mind the next day, and finds out it's her. And even then, she doesn't get what she wants. She says, if you're so committed to my elder sister, go with her. So in the end, she gets sucked back into a life she had never dreamed of, and she really has nothing fulfilling that happens within her path. Within her path. So I would say Fujiko is definitely the most tragic story. Uh, when it comes to some of the other characters, and again, I completely agree that Kimmy is one dimensional and that's all it is. I thought about Naito, the father. Uh, Komako, I actually think considering she had illegitimate birth, her role as a geisha actually was a positive move. She actually would have been on the streets and in worse situation under the normal system there. So I think Considering the hand she was dealt, uh, the trauma she went through as a child, and even when she cut herself, she was only 14 years old. She was still a very young girl, thinking that was the way out of it. I think she actually came around and kind of embraced that lifestyle. So I would say, of all of them, Fujiko had the most tragic story. And Pat? All right, so I will start <clears throat> with, I, I've once heard the definition of, the, of, of what is a tragic character. And one of the definitions I've heard is that a tragic character is one who is so high above everybody else that they tend to attract the lightning of misfortune. And so as such, like, because they are just, you know, you know, again, you look at Macbeth, you look at these other characters, because they are what they are, misfortune tends to come to them. So I would say, therefore, that the most tragic character is Naito because he is clearly an individual who just by all, by all standards of definition, like he stands above every single other person there. He is the baseball player before Kimmy tries to be a baseball player. He is the movie star before Kimmy tries to be. Everybody is trying to get to Naito's level of accomplishment. He becomes mayor over Kimmy. Kimmy never gets there. Kimmy never achieves what Naito achieves. Every character elsewhere, all these other characters, attempt to achieve 
what Naito achieves. And they, and they, they, they cannot do it because what Naito is, is just more impressive overall. And yet, what is also important to a tragic character is that they eventually realize that despite their natural inclinations towards greatness, that they are, they are not great, that they have flaws and yet, they, and that they are subjected to the same things that others are subjected to. And so I think that's the, the key arc that occurs with that character is that despite the fact that he is great, despite the fact that he is destined for colossal achievements that nobody else could achieve, he is brought back down to earth by the tragedy of what occurs in his life, which is the fact that he fathered a child at a very young age. And so therefore all of his great achievements, everything that he did comes back down to earth and it comes back to a very human thing, which is you had a child, you have responsibilities, you must deal with those responsibilities. And so therefore I think he's the most tragic character because he's the one who could have done the greatest. He could have catapulted beyond any of these other characters. And yet he comes back down to earth and accepts responsibilities for everything that he's had to deal with throughout the film. All excellent answers. And I'd like to peel them back one by one to add some drama to the episode to see who wins. All right. So Tom, uh, you had said Komako and I agree. She had a very tragic story. And I think this is really um, showed when Kimihiko brings her to that common restaurant and she's looking around and she's like, Oh, this is, this is normal. People are just coming here and having a, a meal, whatever it is. Um, and that was pretty tragic. Sure. And, and, and Nick, you, you had said Fujiko um, kind of because Kimihiko keeps messing up her life at every step of the way. And, and that was pretty tragic, but uh, Fujiko, like, go do something else. Like, wh why are you obsessed with the guy that's obsessed with stuff? So points go to Pat. Because Kitro, he, he I, I liked how you said he started so high and then fell so far. And even though he's successful, none of it matters. And the one thing I never understood, I think he was husband to two of the, um, of the, the Maiko or Geisha in, his, in, in the Geisha house but his mom runs the house. He's wildly successful. Why is his mom still working? Why doesn't he just pay for it all? She can go enjoy retire. Like, it, I, maybe it's a cultural thing, but what? Aren't they done? What do they have to do? Everything he does, he makes like a gazillion. So points to Pat. Um, but I, I liked how by the end of the movie, you do kind of feel for all the characters. I, and nobody picked um, Kimihiko, which I agree. He's so unsympathetic because you just don't like the guy. But he's got a bit of a tragic story, too, because no matter what he's doing, he's obsessed with it. He, he has to keep doing it. it it's almost like um, the, the Greek guy that had to keep pushing the rock up the hill. Um, Sisyphus. Yeah, Sisyphus. So um, I really thought this movie did a great job in that last act by creating tragic characters all of a sudden. Yeah, you could you could say it's kind of Camus-like, right? That's the myth of Sisyphus is Camus, um, who who's like what ends up happening in in that essay is is that Sisyphus learns to love the task. He learns to love doing this thing over and over, and that seems to be the case with with Kimmy too. Um, and so, I mean, Camus would say that the you know the, this way of addressing what would be an inherently tragic situation is through a comic outlook, right? And that this is kind of the existential thing. You you 
you can make something comedy through through disposition as opposed to through circumstance. Um, I, I would say in, in response to, to Kamoko, uh, excuse me, to uh, Naito, the, you know, the high character who like falls so low, I, I think he's much more like a, a, like a Leontes from Winter's Tale than like a Macbeth who like eventually gets established. So he's kind of like a great romantic character in the, in the, you know, not, not romantic as a lover or something like that, but in the sense that he has to go through a trial, but he eventually gets what he wants anyway, as opposed to somebody, because he's not ruined in the end, he's still successful. Um, and he does end up coming to terms with the mistake he made. So along those lines, when this question was posed, I actually thought about Kichiro uh, Nayuto, if he would be the most tragic. And I'm going to just share why I came to the conclusion he wasn't and why I didn't give it as the answer. Here's a man who accomplished almost everything anyone could ever accomplish. Yes, he had the tragic situation with his daughter, but even at the end of the movie, he comes to terms and his daughter forgives him and actually ends on a positive. That's not a tragic story. That he's, He cannot be the most tragic because he actually has resolution. Now, I'm not saying Fujiko is the best answer, but she's the only one who still ends with nothing. Like, she's lost. But needless to say, going back to Naito, I do not think he is the most tragic because he had, aside from a drinking problem along the way to cope with his uh, challenges from his youth, he comes full circle and ends up on top. He had all that stuff, all that success, and now he's on the way to repairing a relationship with his daughter. Now, that doesn't sound like a tragedy to me. It is true. At the end, um, Komako chooses Kitro's kimono. There's even a sadness in that, isn't there? He's it's the so audience. tragic, KJ. So tragic. <laughs> and he finally know. got I... to get the one thing he wanted in life. Such a tragedy. Yeah, but look who was sitting to his right. Like, that's the guy that helped him. Get hey, him. I didn't pose that the was... question. You did. <laughs> I don't think he had the most tragic. I think the girlfriend, she was clueless. Now, now, the, now the, po the points are assigned. You right? won. The points, the you points won. Are, the points are given, right? Okay, good. So I'm just going to say, I was going to pick for yes. Chico. But, but, but you picked it, yeah. so I had to. <laughs> so, you can have the same as me. Yeah, yeah, you can lock in. <laughs> no, 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 I can't at that point. I have, I have to better. I have, I have well, to, theoretically, I when you're locked in, you're locked in. You're locked in. But we never said <laughs> locked in for that. One. Everyone's always locked in. <laughs> <laughs> and statistically, if you went with Nick's answer, <laughs> points wise, I, I would have, I would have, I would have presented still a good argument. All right. Final points, Nick with four, Tom with five, and Pat, congratulations. Seven points on the Kichiro Naito-san win. Woo. Yay. Yeah. Oh, I get nothing. I get nothing. Come on. Let's hear. Let's Yay. hear. Yay. 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 And, and they rejoiced. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> now, good job, Pat. Uh, I'm sure we have a few other thoughts on this movie. Uh, we'll be right back to discuss them after this quick commercial break. Talking Pictures Trivia Theater presents a screaming lapel pin production, The Jane of My Youth, a coming-of-age story of young love, read by me, Tom. Chapter 7, The Secret Agent. The entire room glowed green, the small white hands dipped downward. Michael pulled on the ropes, holding him to the chair. 
He tried to see into the rip in the space, but he could barely make out what appeared to him to be an enormous white and red landscape filled with tall and fat trees. The hands seemed to be attached to long white arms governed by a mind within a small white and black head. Michael couldn't see the details in the head, couldn't see what part of the heads were white and what parts were black. He thought he saw maybe yellow or blonde hair, but he wasn't sure. The green light shot through the room. His eyes watered. Jane maintained her position, but Dr. Mabosa walked towards the tear, his mouth swinging on the hinge of his jaw. My God, they are here, really here. His pale hand levitated into the air, when all at once a loud noise erupted. Michael, Mabosa, and Jane turned to the source of the sound. At the top of the theater stood Riley, holding a smoking thirty-eight special. I'm sorry, Jane, but I'm here to stop you. Riley, gun pointed, moved slowly to the floor of the theater. Holding the gun with his right hand, he undid the ropes around Michael's wrists with the other. Turn it off, Jane. Turn it off now. Jane removed the lapel pin. The tear in the center of the room snapped shut. The green light vanished, the hands vanished, the palette of white and black and yellow, the landscape of red and white, all vanished. Hands in the air. I'm sorry, Jane, but we don't know how dangerous the box is, and we can't let you go forward on it. Who are you? Mabosa asked. I work for the CIA, FBI, and NSA. In the intelligence world, I'm known as... The triple threat. Riley holstered his gun and walked towards Mabosa. Hands behind your back. I'm taking you in. Mabosa turned and faced the wall. As Riley grabbed Mabosa's wrists, suddenly the tear in the sky reopened, the green light returned, then a small white hand dropped from the middle of the sky, grabbed Riley, and pulled him backward into the opening. All Michael could hear as the white bodies began to drop into the medical theater was Riley screaming for mercy. After a few moments, a single stream of blood began to drip onto the floor, forming a large pool before the three still living bodies. This has been a Talking Pictures Theater presentation of a Screaming Lapel Pin Production, The Chain of My Youth, a coming-of-age story of young love. This week, Screaming Lapel Pin has on sale the Obobulating Markor. Pick one up wherever screaming lapel pins are sold. And we're back. It's time for Movie Rand. But so here's, I have a question actually about the ending, like a fact-based question. So what is the significance of the fact that Komiko does not pick uh, Kimmy's kimono? Wait, Komiko didn't pick Kimmy's kimono? No, no. The girlfriend oh, actually the had colors. the other one, the red one. No, she picks the blue oh, one. Oh, I mixed the colors up then, apparently. 
So that so I thought like they're not that was a rejection of Kimmy. And then the ex-girlfriend picks the red, right? Because they both so what happens is before the dance sequence, both women, both Como and Fujiko, go into the room where the, the kimonos are spread out. And they both kneel before them. And they both look at each other and they look at the kimonos. Then the uh, the scene commences and Naito and, and Kimi are sitting there waiting to see which kimono they'll wear. And um, the ex-girlfriend has the red one and the daughter has the blue one. Doesn't that... Ambiguous at best. D- does so, that mean something? What, what or... are the things they, the, one of the things they mention in the movie mm-hmm. are... Um, oh, what are they called? Uh, hostess clubs where you can go uh, to a bar, you walk in, you get assigned a hostess, but it doesn't feel like that. It feels like, oh, you met somebody at the bar. She sits at the table with you and enjoys your conversation. You pay for your drinks, you pay for her drinks. It's surprisingly expensive. Um, And by the end of the night, you feel good because you felt like you successfully went on a date and it just cost you an arm and a leg. The husband idea is is kind of the same thing your 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 fulfillment is wow i'm so successful i'm able to support this Michael wife and and everybody knows it when she walks down the street she walks with you um everybody that's in that circle they know that you're buying her kimonos you know that you're paying for her meals and bop, 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 bop. um but it's it's paper thin it that's that's as far as it goes so i think that's part of the reason Komako chooses Kiichiro's kimono instead of her, uh, well, husband that's not paying for all these things because he can't afford it. So she's, but she, she's not having him as a patron then. I, I think on paper, again, he's in, he's heavily in debt to her because he doesn't have the actual, well, he could have the money, but he, I, he says he doesn't have the money mm-hmm. to actually be the husband. In society, he is the husband too. So the last conflict about the kimonos doesn't matter. Yes, it does. The only thing it matters is that um, Naito understands that he's actually starting to build a connection with his daughter. That's what matters. Oh. That she accepted him because there was two kimonos. Are you going to go with your new husband or are you going to try to repair the relationship with your father? That she chose the father's kimono. He's not going to be her husband. It's his daughter. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, well, that no, reinforces I, that. Well, then that reinforces my answer, right? <laughs> no, that's not tragic. Yeah, no, I that <laughs> tragic. <laughs> I, no, that is tragic. It's the that's opposite. Tough that's to the deal with. But he accept. Wait, the daughter moly. accepts the dad. Yes. Oh, totally. I, I, I'm honestly going to yeah. admit I missed that. So here's, so here's the story. <laughs> So here's the story. Pat successfully BS the win here today, even yeah, though he no, agreed I did, I did. that Fujiko <laughs> was actually the more tragic character. Mm-hmm. Haven't you ever listened to like a Supreme Court case? Right? <laughs> no, no, no. Tom, Whoever BS is the best. Tom, I'm, There's no I'm well aware that if there are so many subjective questions with Katie's the quizzer, I do not win. <laughs> Ever. But... But so, so I like, even when I get the right answer, (laughs) I'm still lost then with this final thing, which seems to matter. So, am I the only one who actually got this part? So, so what is your interpretation of the ending? Because I absolutely missed it, I totally read it. It's tragic. (laughs) It it is very tragic. How is it tragic? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) 
it, it's it's kind of similar to when uh, Kimihiko says, "Oh man, when this is all over, that's going to be the sad thing." When he when he finally gets into the geisha house and he's nervous that it's going to end. So uh, Kitro has spent his whole life, his entire life, trying to. And he finally does. And he finally does. But all the things he did failed, right? And then the way he was successful was with competing with the social outcast, the abnormal. But that's not true. The way he's successful is he admits that he's her father. Yes, he didn't try before. He He drank his way through the misery. Yeah, and then she she takes the kimono. Yes, but why did she take the kimono? Did she take the kimono because of what he said or because of what those around her did? And could you imagine dealing with that? You finally connect with your daughter. Now you got to do that. You're not you're selling this. How do you do that? When you're a millionaire? <laughs> this is, I, I'm sorry. I like, that actually was a positive. Like, like, this movie was a weird movie. But that was actually a positive ending. That was a positive ending that, yes, he had all the other successes in life. And that still wasn't enough. But finally, he was able to outreach to his daughter, explain what it is. And she accepted his kimono to accept the beginning of a relationship. But a tragedy doesn't necessarily have to have an unhappy A tragedy ending. doesn't actually have to be tragic. Yeah, so so therefore, it's, <laughs> well, it's, it's therefore I, fine. I mean, going back to Aristotle, well, pick, tragedy has had to have a, a happy ending. It doesn't, it doesn't have to have an unhappy ending. Look at, look at like, Aeschylus was certainly, that was certainly a happy ending at the end of the Oresteia. That's certainly a happy ending. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so imagine the next few months where he's actually sitting down with her. Maybe she's in makeup. Maybe she's not. And she says, my whole life has been terrible. And you've known that since I was 14. Her life wasn't terrible. She was taken care of and held up as a gay. She didn't enjoy it. She didn't like it. That's not the life she wanted. And her father had the ability to change that at any time. I think I have a completely different read on this. The reason she put the X on her head was because it was unrequited love. It had nothing to do with being a geisha. She, she, she did that so that she could not be a geisha anymore so that she could be with him because she did not know. It had nothing to do with having a miserable life. They actually gave her a better life than she would have had if she was on the streets. That's actually a very high level to be uh, honored to be a Maiko to a, a geisha. So I just, I have a completely different read. Yeah, but it's also not a choice. And that becomes evident there. She wants to make a different choice and she can't because of the, you know, because of the damage her father and mother did. But it was a teenage crush situation, not a, my, I'm being tortured. But let, let's say it worked. Let's say it worked. She, she put the X on her head and then she couldn't be geisha. Then she wouldn't have been on the street because her dad is a wildly successful baseball player at that time. He would not have just been like, oh, well, she's on the street now. He would have connected she, she at didn't that know, point. She didn't know that. She didn't know that. That makes it's, it more tragic. Yeah. Especially for the guy that does know that. Talking about a stretch, like I, I'm not even trying to be like harsh here. Like the obvious conclusion to the movie was that they were actually starting to mend their relationship. So we can back talk this all we want. Like it, it wasn't a tragic end. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. I was gonna say I'm I'm kind of interested in um, how this movie works as in terms of its genre. I mean, I do think it is a comedy of manners and it's also definitely screwball comedy, um, but it also is borrowing from a lot of romantic comedy tropes. 
Um, and I'm, I'm just kind of curious because it seems to use those tropes in unusual ways, but people thought of this in terms of the, these various colliding genres. It's officially stated to just be comedy, if that helps at all, but, <laughs> but there is romantic element. No, the reason I brought that up is the, the movie that we recently watched, Coming to America, is technically a romantic comedy, but in that sense, I always view it as a comedy first, and then there's, oh yeah, there's a romance in there too. This one was like, definitely comedy front and center and then we just snuck a little bit of romance in there and maybe in the 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 end of the movie but it's definitely using those romantic comedy tropes right yeah like it, I it mean, is hinting it, at them at least yeah, I mean, it, it, at least you know and, and i think we mentioned this earlier but it's like it, it mentioned them and then it sort of subverts them in the sense that like again mm. i i thought that the i thought that the ending was going to be that the his ex-girlfriend was going to end up being a geisha and then he was going to fall in love with her and that it was going to be a, like oh you didn't ever need to love her yada 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 and and that's what i thought it was going to be but it, it takes a lot of genres and it kind of messes with them i think the closest equivalent and this is what i thought was you, 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 tommy you mentioned this like it's close to moliere it is close to moliere mm -hmm. in the sense that yeah. like there's there is there are very few societies in which that can work nowadays moliere doesn't exist in pretty much any mostly western southern any any culture but it works well there um and mm. i think the closest equivalent is to a moliere and so therefore a moliere does carry strong connotations of romantic comedy and cultural comedy and i, th I think that's that's the genre i would put in, not that it's not a genre mm. but i would call it moliere i think it's closer to that and i loved it at, at that piece i thought it was really really fun as that I, I also yeah. had had that quick thought through this movie of, you know, I always try to predict what's going to happen. And I think it's probably better off it didn't go down that trope. It would have been yeah. boring. It would have been so, boring. I, yeah. I, would, I wouldn't yeah. have liked yeah. it. I would have, I would have tuned <laughs> out in the last 20 yeah. minutes if I thought that was coming. And it didn't. And it was good for that reason. What was refreshing is that none of these were the traditional relationships. Even the you know, odd relationship between the ex-girlfriend who just seems to not go away and, and is some for some reason there in the background and going down her own path. They weren't the standard boy meets girl, boy leaves girl, girl follows boy, boy and girl get together. Like there was a lot of other things going on. Yeah, and, and getting back to that kind of like Moliere point and comedy of manners thing is that with, with Moliere, it's, you know, we, we see this, I just... I just taught the misanthrope uh, like last week or two weeks ago. Um, and we kind of come to the conclusion that basically they're like, yeah, society's a little silly. However, it mostly works and we kind of need it. So you should probably get on board and, you know, just, just deal with the things that are uncomfortable about society. It's actually very conservative. Like all the French Louis the 15th, uh, yeah, Louis the 14th plays are very conservative because you can't not be conservative because he's watching you. Um, and this play, like somebody mentioned that also, right? That this is kind of the most con the most traditional activity is, is this geisha activity or one of them. And so that kind of feeds into, you know, that argument as well. It's like, because they're not putting up the geishas for mockery. They're never being mocked at all. Um, it's, com it's considered completely respectful. They're revered. Um, I mean, really. Yeah. Everything else is mocked business, baseball, you know, K1 kind of, um, but not not the geishas. That's, uh, that is a thing apart. We, we, we have discussed a little bit some of the jokes in this, in this movie, but 
one of the quick jokes that I really enjoyed was when they were in Kichiro's ramen shop and Kimi Hiro and Kimi Hiko's there and um, they hand him a, a, a bowl of, of ramen of the noodles and they say, careful, they're hot. But he had just come from a boxing match and he goes, it's okay. I have my fighting gloves on. <laughs> it's real quick. They don't dwell on it. And I just, I really enjoyed a lot of the comedy in this in this movie that that it's pretty quick it, it's not it's it's not in your face that's i mean, well i should say most of it's, it's a lot of it's in, your face. in your face yeah um dialogue joke though yeah. not the physical humor yep. yeah but they also do some some smaller jokes no i was gonna say it, it has a quality of like a of a um, three stooges of a. You know, and, and and I think I said earlier, like a Monty Python, like it, it it has a physical fastness that doesn't exist in a lot of of Western comedy nowadays. I think a lot of that stuff went away in Western comedy in like even the late '90s, early 2000s. Like you know, the Naked Gun and like a lot of that, a lot of that type of comedy seems to have gone. And 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 what replaced it was just like parody in in the sense that like it was the like scary movie one scary movie two scary movie three like and they're not they're not so much comedy as much as they are referential you know <laughs> reference other movies and therefore they're funny and they're, they're that's not good whereas you know some of the Nick gun movies and the and airplane and like those kind of movies like those are fast fun moments that and, and this had that i think in the in the sense that a lot of western comedy lost a few years ago i don't think i mean i don't know i I don't think there's any movies that do that nowadays that have that fast fun. I, I said Mr. Bean earlier, like they don't have that Mr. Bean naked gun, like that quality of comedy doesn't exist in Western cinema anymore. I think it's gone. I don't know. Does anyone disagree with that? No, I was going to say, I agree that this definitely had a fast pace. And the interesting thing about this, I, I alluded to this in my intro I don't know if this is just a style of Japanese comedy because the last movie we saw, Why Don't You Play in Hell, also had a very fast-paced kind of silly comedy. I don't know if that's a statement on the Japanese style or just a reflection on the movies KJ likes from the Japanese style. So that's a... (laughs) That's something I, I'm not really sure about. And I'm sure he'll bring some more contenders to the table and we'll figure it out over time. Yeah, there, I mean, I I can't, like, I, I think you're right. There is like that kind of um, Three Stooges thing to it where, you know, it, it's very physical. Um, has anybody seen Ron, the the Kurosawa movie? Well, it's, it's a version of King Lear. But so there's a, the fool in that is doing the type of humor that uh that kimmy is and very much in the same like really broad over the top type thing and so it, it might be a, a particular japanese style and i think the person who played the fool was actually a pretty famous pop singer who they, they brought in to, to do that type of thing um but that kind, that kind of fool that kind of harlequin like comedian i think it might be something we used to see in like commedia dell'arte where you had a lot of that kind of more more spoofy, more physical comedy, um, but I haven't actually watched that much comedia to, so, to really be so sure. So let's let's throw out the idea that like the fool in Comedia dell'arte, the whole point of the fool is supposed to be that they show those in power that what they're asking, what what they do mm-hmm. is silly and stupid. Yeah, is the point of Kimmy supposed to be that he shows those in power who 
basically are the people watching because those are the people who have money and power and fame that they are foolish for pursuing what they are going after. Like if he is the fool is the, because there are no fools really for the most part in the film is the, is the, is, or the, or the people in power, are they supposed to be the people watching? Is that the point? I don't know. I don't think it judges his boss. I don't think it judges the. Yeah, yeah that's a good point. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, yeah. It's totally true. It's. It's. I actually love of... the boss. I think the boss is great. Yeah, <laughs> actually, the big boss. Totally, big totally boss. wrong. Yeah, totally wrong. straight. Yeah, he's great. Totally wrong. I throw it but out I, there, but you're right. I totally wrong. Do you think you're right? It's like the, that. That type of fool in Lear and in like the Harlequin character, they kind of. Um, you know, and also like Roman comedy does this too. They they sort of the rich guy or the guy with power who's trying to usually get like the young woman or something like that. They reveal them to be idiots, All right? So the fool is like the person who's a truth sayer, and that's why they're a fool. That's why they're allowed to be truth sayers because they're dismissed. And Kimmy isn't. Um, Kimmy is just he's he's just unaware which is sort of the opposite. And so I guess it is more of a Stooges thing, right? Where here are three people who are just sort of unaware of, of social norms and there they go. Can I, can I throw one thing? I just want to say, I just want to say thank you, KJ, because I, the more I talked about this movie, the more I actually really, really enjoyed it. And as I said before, I, I, had a, I had a rough beginning of a relationship with it, but I just want to say thank you because that was fun. I, I actually really enjoyed the discussion. I just want to say thank you for bringing this one. Oh, that that's that was a good my ears, Pat. Yeah. We're, we're going to redo the Why Don't You Play an L episode, and you're going to be on it, and it, it's going to be <laughs> yeah. great. And I won't be. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, of course, I got to get to the root of this, this movie. But no, one of the things I actually, just like you enjoyed some subtle lines and all that, there was uh, a scene in the movie where they start the baseball team and everyone's eating their cup of noodles in the stadium. And you have the girls with the hot water on their pack on their backpacks going up and down, giving everyone noodles and, and warm up. Well, the reason I bring this up is in the same trip that I went to visit KJ in Japan, I also went to Tokyo and I actually went to a Japanese baseball game and I have very fond memories of it. It was very lively. They actually had um, they tried to make it so that the fans of one team were on one side and the other uh, fans were on the other. They have brass bands, mascots. It's it's a whole production. And this was in uh, Tokyo in, in, in the dome there. And the reason I bring this up is a great invention, which I wish once people are allowed to go to baseball games again, that I always said they should bring to the States. They had these beer keg girls where they'd have just like the cup of noodles girl. She had the hot water. They'd have kegs of beer on their back and they'd give you a fresh pour. Now, I've been to a variety of stadiums, Yankee Stadium. They've been carrying around these cold, these, these warm beers for a while. They got to bring the, the keg girls uh, to, back to the States. And that's what that cup of noodles reminded me of. So I just wanted God. to bring that up. If they did that in Fenway or in Queens, people would be killing each other. <laughs> it would be just a, a drunken collection of knife fights. It was every... really it was really fun. And they were different beers too. So you'd look for the different beer girls who had the different types. So uh, I, I remember that. And that's what that cup of noodles uh, made me think of there in the stadium. So I, I, on that note, KJ, uh, thank you for bringing an interesting movie to our attention. And I'm sure there's more to come uh, where that one came from. Pat, again, I do have to congratulate you. You got to play the game as it is and use strategy to your advantage, whether 
we agree with your answers or not. So congratulations. And whether, and whether some of my points were given out of pity, it doesn't matter. And whether you agree <laughs> with your own answers. <laughs> but no, congratulations and, and thanks for joining us again. Uh, it, it's great to have you back. No, thank you guys. I, I had a lot of fun and it was it's always good being back here. Thank you guys. Thanks to our erroneous editor, KJ, who masterfully crafts these episodes. I'd also like to acknowledge IMDb, which is a great resource for movie information. Check out our website, TalkingPicturesTrivia.com, for more information about us and our episodes. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Amazon Podcasts, and Stitcher, as well as our YouTube channel. We are extremely grateful for any positive reviews, as those help others like you find us. If you like what you hear, remember to like and subscribe to our show. Join us next time when we discuss Tom's recommendation from 1921, The Phantom Carriage. Should be a fun one. See you then. Ding, 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 ding. Directed by Nobu Mizuta, who is also known for Hanada Shonenshi, the movie, Spirits in the Secret Tunnel, and Nigo Ni, Signal of Life. Other movies in Japan in 2007 include Dororo. Other movies in Japan in 2007 include Dororo. That's so bad. (laughs) One more time. (laughs) Do it, KJ. You did this to me. (laughs) Other movies in Japan in 2007 include Dororo, a manga-based movie. Dororo. It's that R and L. We don't have their sound. They don't have ours. It's, okay, it's like I got it. Dodo. Other movies, other other movies in Japan in 2007 include Dororo. <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> you want me to do this paragraph? Do you want to say? No, I got Dororo. I got it. Dororo. I got it. Other movies in Japan. I got it. Other movies in Japan in 2007 include Dororo, a manga-based movie, and two nominees for Best Picture. I think it's more than that. He's obsessed with these things. What, whatever it is, whatever he's doing, he becomes obsessed with to the point where, where it's obnoxious. It's not a healthy thing anymore. So any goal he has in life, he takes to infinitum. Is that a word? Infinium. In, in, what's the in, Infinity? No, no. Like, uh, <laughs> takes to infinity? No, you wouldn't say that. Like, what's, um, what's the opposite of finite? Takes to the extreme. Um, the extreme, yeah. Uh, he takes to the extreme. He takes it to the extreme. <laughs> he takes to the extreme, um, and I think Tom's answer <laughs> captured that pretty well. This question's subjective, guys. Sell it. Sell it. Congratulations, Sell it. Tom. Sell it. <laughs> um, we're tired now. Right? I just we're don't want to talk tired, as right? much as Tom talks. I got the points. Right? Yep, we're tired, yep. right? You're, yeah, we're it's, tired. Yeah. It's yes. five, four, five. So it's worth two mm. points. So yes. Wait, no. I thought I'm the only one at four. Five, uh, that's it. Five, four, five. Yeah. Five, four, five. Four, yeah. No, four, five, five. Okay. Five, four, five, four, five, 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 four. All that matters. Four, 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 four. Four, four, fathers. Listen, four fathers. Only one came home I just night. don't, I don't like getting these questions wrong because I don't want to talk as long as Tom does. Okay. Oh, it's not the length. It's, the, it's not the Oh, models. come on. It's, it's, it's not the length. The it's how you use it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the ocean. Throw the word perpetual in there. Yeah.